If you're not reaching your financial potential, you're going it alone as a solopreneur, or you're lacking fulfillment and meaning in your life, then this podcast is for you. In each and every episode, Rock helps you create breakthroughs and results so you can live life on your terms. So get ready to unleash more money, time, and magic in your life. Here's your host, Rock Thomas. Before we get started today, I wanted to remind you that if you want more out of life, there is another way. What if there was a way you didn't know about? Whether you're lacking momentum in your business, getting the same results, you're in, you're out. You don't have a supportive environment. People aren't encouraging you to live your dream. Or you're tired of not living into your gifts. You're doing something that's unfulfilling, but you want a life that excites you. I know I can help. All you have to do is get on a call with somebody from my team that's going to help you understand the strategies and tactics of success. Go to rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and we're going to help you rock your money and your life. So what are you waiting for? Go ahead, rockthomas.com forward slash VIP call, and let's get started today. What does this guest have in common with Steve Jobs? Well, you're going to find out in the interview. She's a beautiful soul that has overcome a lot of adversity in her life and has a roller coaster experience when it comes to family. And she is somebody who you would call it perhaps um, has a story of abandonment. Her brand and organization is Dropping In Voice of America, and she's an author, and she is a beautiful soul. She's gone on to um, uh, marry a Swiss man. She's got two daughters and she's excited to support authors who use writing as a bridge to their own inquiries and curiosity. Let's go direct to my interview with Diane Dewey. Welcome to the podcast, Diane. Thanks, Rock. It's great to be here. It's super to have you here and you've got this very... Um, Melodic, melodic voice, very calming voice. Have you heard that before? I have, and I have to say that it must be because inside I'm, I'm a sort of roiling cauldron, and I think that somehow my voice just comes out as trying to be reassuring mm -hmm. and trying to be, you know, um, to bring, yeah, calm also to myself. So thank you. I. You're a bit like a duck, calm a duck. on the surface and paddling underneath. <laughs> and I hope that every, all the water just rushes off my back as well. There you go. Perfect. So let's start at the beginning. Let's find out your story. Well, you know, I don't know if you um, play tennis or I'm sure you play yeah. some. Oh, good. Well, when I get out there, what happens is I put all the bad tennis out in the beginning. And that's kind of what happened with my life as well. Um, a lot of bad stuff could be interpreted um, as blessings as well. I was born in Germany, um, which was not characterized as a great place post-World War II. Um, and it was, you know, very hard times there. I was placed in an orphanage when I was um, quite young. And I stayed in the orphanage until I was about one and a half uh, at which time I was adopted by an American family, um, an American couple, and brought to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. 
Um, I mean, all of this sounds kind of like a lot of red tape must have happened. No, I was picked from a batch of photographs because the person who ran the orphanage was a child psychologist and um, his sister had immigrated to America in the Philadelphia area and it was her daughter who married and then found that she could not conceive. So um, right away there was a kind of like personal connection kind of um, thing going on where, yes, it was totally random, but on the other hand, it was somehow specific, you know, to me. And um, I had to kind of get over the idea that appearances meant everything, because of course, if you're picked out of a batch of photographs, you start to, that's a message, right? And um, lots of women have have a very strong message about their appearance. So it takes a while to accept yourself for something else. But um, let's stop the car there for a second. So let's let's go deeper with that. Is were you picked out because of your beauty? I was picked out because of my sunny disposition. I had I was labeled sunny because. I actually found the photographs. It was a day when I was doing my usual thing, which was something I shouldn't be doing, like, you know, going through my mother's desk drawer. And I found this envelope. I mean, I think I was around seven. And I found this envelope. And of course, my pulse just quickened because I didn't, I knew well there was my photograph. And there were a whole bunch of other little kids' photographs in there. And I thought, oh, wow, I wonder if somebody else is coming. I wonder um, if I'm going to have a brother or a sister or, you know, and then each one of the Polaroids was labeled and mine was Sunny. Um, so this is fascinating because the I am movement is all based around these labels we've been given, labels I was given and how they can, you know, restrict you or they can free you. So from a very young age, you were labeled Sunny. How has that played out in your life? Well, it's maybe created a kind of delayed progress in terms of really, really wanting to understand the shadow side. I think everybody does need to understand what's the other part that you're not presenting all the time and what's the part that you know, you're shaped by this unconscious, right? This, this whole batch of fears and unconscious, irrational thinking. So I think there was actually, Rock, I mean, I, I, I wish I could say that part was, you know, I think it just created a much longer takeoff, a much longer runway for me, because it took a very long time for me to be really honest with myself um, about what made me tick and what made me scared. And I know that you know that it's essential that you know both those things. Yeah. Did you did you have a false kind of identity? Like they called you Sunny and Sunshine or whatever, and but you didn't really feel it? Is that what happened? Well, I I I am very sunny. I know, mm. you know, I am I am a very, I get up in the morning and I think about all the good things. Um, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes I think it's, um, it's willful and, and by choice because I want to have my mindset. I'm not doing it for others anymore. I, I do it for myself to have the mindset that 
I need to feel positive about taking on the day. And as you know, in these times, you know, there's lots of challenges. So we can take it either way. And I'm actually rather glad that I have that mechanism where I choose to look at the sunny side of the street. And um, it helps me. It's helped me become a very resilient um, kind of person. I, I get it. Okay, so continue on with your story. So then um, I, I came to America. The grandmother brought me to America by plane from Germany. And nothing much happened except that I settled into a wonderful home. I had really lovely parents. They were quite um, strict about the idea that this was my one and only family. Of course, if you know anything about child psychology, you realize that the first year of life does create cellular memory and we have impressions that are very early impressions. So um, I was kind of of the feeling that, you know, like there was part of me that was in the closet somehow. There was this part of me that I recalled without being able to put words to it, without even being able to put imagery to it. But something was missing. Something had happened. There was presence in my life. Um, so I needed to, you know, for my parents' sake, um, buy into their narrative and buy into this illusion that this is it. And yes, it's a survival tactic. Yes, it's something um, many people who are adopted wrestle with. But I always knew, and I, I kept that little tiny flame alive. I kept it in my mind um, that somehow, somewhere, when I looked up at the stars at night, I knew I was looking at the same stars that someone who was my biological parent looked at. And I knew that somehow we would reconnect. And when I was 47, um, I got a letter uh, out of the blue from my biological father um, who wanted to meet me and to know me and to have me in his life. Wow. Keep going. That's so that was, that was in 2002. Two, so I was, it upended, it was a radical, uh, that was a radical entry uh, of a, a presence from the past who basically was home free, right? He didn't need to make himself known. He wanted to acknowledge himself so that I would be able to connect to my history. And he wanted to make himself known so that I would have some sense of who I was that wasn't just the prescribed sense of who I was from being adopted. Um, so there was a generosity to this act. Um, I was very thankful that he did this. Um, Otto is his name in my book. Um, and um, we became friends. We became, interestingly, his letter arrived six months after my adoptive, my beloved adoptive father passed away. So I was without a father for exactly six months. Mm. Then I got another father, my original father. Mm. And, you know, I mean, Freud would have a field day with this, right? I mean, it's <laughs> something um, 
And I, I have to say, I feel very um, blessed because um, this was a very big stroke of luck. I knew all my life that I was adopted. I didn't know any biological family. Of course, I asked Otto if we could retrace back to my mother's side. And um, with that, I learned the most astounding fact which was that she was, in fact, with me in the orphanage in Germany. She'd taken a job to be with me in the orphanage so that we had been bonded together. Um, and unfortunately, it was you know, severed eventually. Um, and women are convinced sometimes to surrender children if you know there's a, a sort of calamity of of errors and factors that yeah that weigh in so um so that's what happened wow i mean there's a lot of very like steve jobs was adopted there's you know adopted children can i think develop a keen desire to prove to the world that they're worthy right you're absolutely right it becomes the mega impulse um, because you, you have to, it's sort of, yeah, Steve Jobs, Greg Louganis, um, lots of people who perform and perform. The thing, of course, I love about Steve Jobs was that he also, he was performance driven, but he was also intuitively driven. And I think that the fact that he created these products that we come to use quite intuitively, um, I just find like a very kind of personal connection to that. I think that's what happens. You you become right-brained almost because it's not logical left brain to find out that your mother has left you behind somehow. And of course that question mark is like a brand that's on you. Right. Um, and, and I think then you switch over, you're on the intuitive side and you know things without knowing them and you you understand things without knowing how you learn to it. Um, and I think that there are people like Steve Jobs um, who just used that facility in a, or that faculty in a brilliant way. Well, you know, I have come to learn, and it's just a theory, see if, if you, have, you agree with it at all, that most people are trying to run away from their not enoughness. We all suffer from it on some level. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm, I'm not rich enough, I don't speak enough like you name it. There's a million versions of it. At the end, the not enoughness is afraid that we're going to not be loved and, and we're going to be loved. It is a big fear that we all have. I think that people mask it with they get big houses, tattoos, part of a gang, part of a group, blah, blah, blah but still it lives inside of us. I think there's a few people, <clears throat> Steve Jobs maybe one of them, that have decided to ride it like a stallion, harness it and go, and I'm just paraphrasing, right? Everybody will have their version. Oh yeah, you don't think I'm enough? Let me get on this not enoughness <clears throat> and ride it and harness all of its energy to become, I don't even know what, but his intuitiveness might've been like, well, I'm going to be as intuitive as I possibly can. I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna, I don't have a mother and father to tell me what, me what to do directly, so I'm gonna to listen to the universe. 
they use it as a lever for power is what I'm starting to see in my, you know, as I meet more and more people versus most people use it as this, it's more of a, it's more of a, what's the word? Something you carry around your neck and it drags you down. Not enough. And some people I think have found a way to use it as a spur, as a, as a, as fuel. What do you think of that concept? I think it's spot on. Um, I think that the love that you can have is your own. I think it's the one that's not going to go away. Um, so you just start to say to yourself, you don't get to tell me you, you, right. you don't get to tell me the, the, the definitions right. the you, and, you know, because honestly, um, you know, we all know what imposter syndrome is and, and, um, and, but you, sorry, you look at your parents too and say, wait, <laughs> you're kind of imposters too, right? Because, you know, I, I don't, I, it, we do carry that around for a long, long time, right? For what those definitions and labels were. But eventually that breaking free of it, you know, is enough. You don't get to tell me. And I am enough and I'm more than enough. And when you see how enough I am, you'll eat your words. And it's not to be vindictive, it's not to be mean, but, you know, people are not just possessive, but proprietary about children. I have long thought that children just are manipulated in a way that it's it's too bad and, and it's with the best of intentions and and all of that that comes with it. But that that framework of trying to say no you you can't no that you no you that that's not possible you know that's not possible and um when you start to really listen to yourself to your intuition and you realize that you've got a built-in protector a built-in guidance right. system right. that we all have then nobody gets to tell you basically whether they're your parents or anyone. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think it's, it's using it as a catalyst or as fuel. It's like if you go to the doctor and they say, you can't eat this food, you can say, I'm lacking. Or you can look at other foods you haven't eaten and, and discover them and celebrate them. And maybe we celebrate the I am not, I'm not enough as fuel for us to be the highest expression of who we are. I hope that's true. I believe it's true. I think that um, we also can view things, you know, as a lack. Like I have always had the response from people of, oh, too bad. You know, you were, you know, we're in an orphanage and well, look at Harry Potter. I mean, look at some of the really famous, you know, mythological orphans. Look at, you know, Apollo. I mean, there are so many. The, the, the child that's cast out is actually an archetype. So archetypes exist because kind of like intuition exists. You know, we, we have so much 
in our unconscious minds, so much, so many impressions that we're gathering, you know, you're gathering, I'm sure at a hu- an incredible rate because of being bright and receptive. And I think that, you know, we're, we're constantly magnetizing different bits of information that we're not using consciously, but they're stored. And when intuition hits, it's just a kind of a collective matchup of what we've been storing with what's drawing us, what's, which suddenly is like activated, that thing that's resonating, that's like magnetizing you. And the good news is you're safe. You can take that risk. You can step toward it. You cannot know why. You can do that thing and it will take you to the most extraordinary places. Yeah, well said. Deep conversation. I, I think that this journey is, you know, the we are we are so much in our heads. How do you practice getting out of your head and in your heart and living from from that place? Is it something you're conscious of, Diane? Extremely conscious of, and had Chris approached me as for my word. Um, it would be love. But love, you know, it's not that thing that you just keep adding more and more and more of affection. Love is going to the things that you love so that you forget yourself, so that you forget your mind, Mm. and so that you are so totally immersed in your experience that you're not conscious of time or space or the brainiology, the numbers, the measurements. I mean, I feel like you're really good at that. You're a successful businessman. I have, you know, a surprise, well, no, not a surprise ability, but it turns out that Otto, my biological father, was a Swiss banker. Hmm. So, you know, things can be worse, right? I mean, I, I also feel quite lucky, but when I'm trying to get out of my head, I, I do that routinely because there's so much going on. And I do think that you have to have a conscious lever, whatever that is, whether it's music, meditation, walking. I, I do have a lot of sort of dynamic like sort of walking meditation. I find movement, like your movement, movement, physical movement is is really necessary for me. Otherwise, can get kind of bogged down and stationary yeah. in one mindset. Some of the best conversations happen when you go for a walk with somebody. Totally. You get into that flow and you're kind of literally out of your brain and your body and you just you're just allowing so I think we're on the same page here. I think we're talking about the same thing. What are some of the books that, that have allowed you to increase your consciousness, if any? Well, so many, but I, I think too, um, you know, we could be, we could, you know, now that you mention it, we could be walking outside and, and do the <laughs> same thing. You know, it's also because then your environment starts to permeate you. You know, we're not in a created environment then, or, you know, we're outdoors. It's really something, it starts to work on you in a different way. Um, The books. Well, Nancy Verrier's uh, book called The Primal Wound was a seminal book for me because it 
taught me that I wasn't alone. The primal wound is about how um, children who have been severed from parents do get dysregulated emotionally. And that part of reclaiming the self is understanding, yeah, as you say, the wound where it heals, the scar tissue, that skin is tougher than any other skin. You know, the curse is the blessing. The wound is the, wound is the toughest place. And when you learn that your emotions um, you can get, you can carry, you can get carried away with them, or you can listen to them in a way that is maybe more introspective, more pause button, more where is this coming from? I mean, I'm not able to do that thing that they talk about all the time in meditation where just let it float away. I'm more the person that says, there it is. Let's zoom into that. <laughs> Let's find out about that. You know, what does it mean? Where is it coming from? But anyway, the primal wound, she, she turned the light switch on for me. She's a psychologist who has an adopted daughter. So she came at it from a very like uh, clinical approach, but also a heart approach and wanting the best um, in terms of understanding her daughter. Um, any book by Toni Morrison, um, where I think she is a woman who, a writer who captured, she went with her imagination. She went into places that really angels would fear to tread. I mean, really, um, the things that she wrote about and her way of being at ease with the other worlds that she encountered, otherworldliness, um, I think those are brave souls that write in that way. We're coming to the end of our show. I'd love to try to put this into a package so that people, as they leave here, they maybe have something that they could focus on or think about. What would you say is, is how would you like to leave our listeners off today? I feel as though we have to come out of ourselves and especially now we have to remember that the ripples that we create have power and that we have power as individuals and i am a big believer that the more we understand about our own identity it's contrary to what you might think the deeper we go into ourselves in terms of understanding ourselves the deeper our connection to others because i think what we find inside of ourselves is universal so when we start to ripple out and say the things that we've, you know, learned and, and help communicate to others um, what we've learned about our life, our lives are much richer for it and it helps us get through things like what we're going through now. I think our connection is so profound, we don't even truly understand it. It happens telepathically, it happens symbolically, energy-wise, ways that we don't even fully understand. But the thing to do is embrace it and to use it and to make the biggest ripple possible. And that's a mic drop from Diane Dewey. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your heart and your wisdom and your experience so authentically. Really appreciate it. So that's it for today's episode of Rock Your Money, Rock Your Life. Head on over to iTunes and subscribe to the show. Then head on over to rockyourmoneyrockyourlife.com and pick up a copy of Rock's free gift. 
so you too can reach your financial potential, enjoy extraordinary success, and live the life you've imagined. Join us on the next episode.